0: All right, good morning. How are you doing today? Good? Everybody good? You look good. Uh, so I was reading an article uh, a couple of days ago about how much time we spend a year trying to find stuff that we've lost in our own house. Any, anybody relate to this story? And uh, I came up yesterday because they were, they were doing some of the recording for uh, this new single. And I uh, all of a sudden, I see our tech guy. He's running around with a flashlight, and everybody's, he's got everybody mobilized trying. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm trying to find my keys. And, uh, and I think it's so funny. Uh, the, the most lost item in your house, uh, 45% of the time, is your remote. Now, now, think about this. The thing that keeps us in the chair is the thing that we lose the most. How does it leave the chair? How does it get away? We don't know. But anyway, I was just laughing about how many times I lose things, and I walked up here on the first service, and I reached in my pocket, and all of a sudden, I, pulled, I said, I've been looking for these for months. I am so glad I gave that illustration and found my sunglasses, so very good for me. But I don't know what you've lost, what you've found, but, um, you know, it's been just a, a great week of connecting with God uh, through this fast. Many of you are on the fast, different versions of it. Uh, some of you are are really praying harder, praying into this, and God gives breakthrough, and what does that mean? It means that I believe in the supernatural realm that when we fast, we accelerate things that wouldn't normally be accelerated, that we get quicker to an answer or we have more insight into a situation that we had before. And as we talk about uh, God and business in this series, uh, I've been amazed at how when I start with the mindset, I'm gonna look into the Word of God, show me a business principle from the Word of God, how much God is just opening up my eyes to see things that relate to this matter of God and business. So whether you are a business owner, an employee, looking to start a company or a student, uh, these, these messages are so applicable because they, they really deal with life and where we live our life on a practical uh, basis every single day. So I want to start with just some basic uh, principles about business that I think are really important. And the first one is this simplify everything. Whenever we start in a journey of life, things tend to go from simple to complex. Whenever business starts, it's very simple. We want to open a business, sell this item. And then all of a sudden, things become more complicated as we go. And if we pull back and say what's really essential, what's the core value of what we need to do, then business becomes fun again, and we become more productive and have less weariness in our own particular lives. Um, What's really interesting is the most complicated thing, uh, room in our house is the closet. Can anyone relate to this? When I walk into the closet, my clothes literally look at me and say, I dare you. You really think you're going to fit into me today? And most of my clothes are that way. And I, I have a few choice piece of clothes that I just value a lot. And, and I say one day, and uh, I have this, war, this orange Dutch uh, uh, a soccer uh, jersey that I love. And I've only been able to wear it once in my life. I don't know what was going on in that moment. Um, But anyway, I could wear it. I still have it. It is brand new, right? So I I was reading a coaching book a few years ago, and it said one of the things that you can do to simplify your life is reduce the number of clothes in your closet. And I was fascinated with that because I thought, okay, go on, tell me more about that because I love all my clothes even if I never wear them. And it said take a piece of, uh, of tape and put it around the top of the hanger each time you wear a piece of clothing. You only have to put it on once in a 30-day period and see how many clothes you actually wear in a 30-day period. At the end of the 30 days, take everything you didn't wear and put it in another closet. And chances are you will never go visit the other closet. You say, oh, I don't know if that's true. It is true. Trust me, you will be surprised how few items of clothing you actually wear. You say, well, what's the point of that? The point is, it's emotional energy. We don't think about walking into a closet, trying to make a decision what we're going to wear, as being an energy drain. But let me equate it to uh, a dome light in your car. If we lived in a cold weather climate, and we left our dome light on overnight in the car, our car would not start in the morning. Because that constant small drain on our battery eventually takes all the power, the starting power, out of that battery, and your car won't start. So I want you to think about your life like this. How many dome lights do you have in your life that are a constant small drain that you say it's not a big deal? It's really not taking that much of my time, that much of my energy, but cumulative, it's taking a lot. It's drawing a lot out of your life. And if you simplify some things, you could have more energy. You say, well, that's only like one or 2%. But if you have five of those, and that's 10% of your energy for the day, do you see what a difference it makes? So think about simplify everything. And then the other thing is, energize, don't drain those people who are around you. Have you ever been around someone who's just a power sucker? I mean, I don't even know the way to put it. It's like they walked up, plugged in, you know, they're Tesla or whatever, and they just left it there, and you're just like going, Lord, have mercy, unplug, please. Well, you might be that person. Gee, I never thought of that. I thought it was somebody else. But if you th- if you'd set out and say, I'm gonna energize those people around me, how do I pour more power, more juice, more life, more hope into people around me versus trying to drain people It's amazing how you're also gonna get energized in the process. Another principle, seize change as an opportunity. We we tend to kind of avoid change in our life. We don't like things different. That's why typically when you come to church, you'll sit in about the same place every week because you don't like change. You're comfortable where you are. When you go out to eat, you probably go to the same four or five places. When someone suggests a new place, the first moment in your life is, well, that might be good, but what if the food's not good and I wasted a meal? Do anybody relate to this or not? Is this kind of where you you are? And so we don't like change. How about going out to dinner with someone you've never been out with, and all of a sudden they begin to move into your personal space? That means that they move the salt shaker, their glass, whatever it is, and it's a little bit, and you know where it is. They don't know that line because their line is different. No, you're in my space on my tape, my half of the table, and then when they're talking or distracted, you just kind of push it back over. Anybody do this? I mean, I do this all the time. If I ever got to eat with you and you mess in my space, I'm pushing it out of my space because I don't want that. Well, change is hard, and so whenever you start changing things in your life, um, you look at it and go, well, this is not good, but sometimes change is a great opportunity. You know, I looked on my phone, and it said I had good news. I have 30 less, 30% less screen time this week than I had the week before. That's compliment, Phil. Very good. You did good. I didn't try to do that. I, I just My social world was really flat this week, and I didn't, I didn't have anything to post and all those kind of things. But the other thing I noticed was that I have a, about 8,000 photos in my phone, which I guarantee you about 8,000 of them I will not look at probably ever. Do you know what I mean? But you realize that that change to be able to take my phone, take a picture, and instantly have it if I want it, and I can send it to someone, was a great opportunity. Because if you're older, can you go back with me a little bit? Do you remember when they used to have cameras, and you would go and buy a little roll of film, you'd stick it in there, and then you had this little advancer, and you'd advance it, and hopefully you got it right, and didn't get it in between two pictures, Then you would start taking pictures, but you couldn't take any picture you wanted to because what if you wasted your film? So then you get 12 or 15 pictures on there, and then you take that little roll of film out, and you go down to the drugstore. Those were the people that knew how to do this specialized technique of making a picture for you, and you gave it to them, and you sent it off for one week, a week. Are y'all with me? and what did you do? You hoped that that one picture, the only picture you really cared about was that one picture, and it came back, and it was no good, and you were like, you lived your life in total despair. Oh, no, I can't believe I lost it, and all of a sudden, now we've got this phone that says, no, that's not a good one. In fact, I notice when we ask people to take a picture, they go, I took four or five. If that was film, and somebody did that to me, I would charge them No, you don't take five pictures with my film. So anyway, as we start to think about change and opportunity, it's very important because opportunity can be blessed and it can be also a difficult task to go down, isn't it? When we think about change and opportunity. So uh, about a week ago, I was uh, forwarded an email uh, notifying uh, the families of Vineyard Christian School that the school was closing after about 30 years. And I, my, my heart really sank in that because our granddaughter's there and, and we have probably 20 or so families in our church that have kids there. And I thought, oh man, I can't believe that. And the next thing that came to me was just this, this little ringing in my mind and it's a scripture. And I knew it was in Proverbs. I wasn't sure where it was, but it just, the phrase came, uh, she considers a field. And buys it. And it was like, like God said, you should consider whether you should start a Christian school. And I didn't know that I wanted to. It was just, you know, th- these are how things, these are promptings. And sometimes in business, you have a clear defined plan. And sometimes you have a prompting if you're a Christian of the spirit of God and say, consider this. That doesn't mean do it. It means consider this. And so I just kind of started going down that journey, and then I got a few texts from people and said, have you thought about this? And I called my friend uh, Rex that has a, a private school really close here, and I said, Rex, would you have room if we wanted to start? He said, I would. And I said, okay, well, let, let me just think about this and, and pray about it. And then I got a, a text from someone who said, hey, I went to school with this girl, and her dad's uh, retired he as a Christian principal of a high school, and, and he'd love to help you, but he has one condition. He won't charge you. And, I, and I'm going, oh, that's, that's good. I mean, this is fitting into the Dutch mindset of, you know, that I have. And, and then uh, I had a teacher interview this past week, and I think I have three more on Monday. And, and it was just kind of like I said, God, I don't know what you want yet. I'm trying to illustrate something in the spiritual realm and the business realm for you. I don't know what you want, but God, I'll go down this road until you clearly say stop. And if you say stop, I'm fine. I, like I said to people, if, if we don't do a school, I will sleep at night if we do a school, I probably won't. But, I, but what I want more than anything else to say, God, I want to be lined up with what you're trying to do in this house for the kingdom of God. But we want to do it in a really good way. And so I went back and I found the scripture. It was in Proverbs chapter 31 in verse 16. Let me just show you that first part of that verse there. It says, she considers a field. She considers a field and she buys it. Now, I want you to think about a field is your opportunity out here to do something. When you buy a field, unless you're a very, very good land speculator, that land is not worth anything uh, until you develop it, until you can sell it in a different market. But if you take that land and you put something on it, now it becomes more valuable, so you consider it, you think about it, and if you buy it, it's just a field. And there's a lot of great ideas you have out here for business. Think about that as your field. But it's not worth anything until you plant something in the field that actually has a return or a potential return on it. So let me show you the next part of that verse, Proverbs 31. It says, for, she, for her profits, she plants a vineyard. So what happened here is... This woman is called the Proverbs 31 woman. She's very industrious, very business-oriented, and she buys a field, and then she has profited someplace else in her life, and what does she do? She plants a vineyard. Why a vineyard? Because in that day, that would have been the best way to make a profit. So she took a field, which was a drain. All you're doing is paying taxes on it. And all of a sudden, she plants something there that now brings value. And every business that you're ever going to engage in, it's going it's to really do several things. But one thing it's going to do, it's going to meet a need. Another thing it's going to do, it's going to solve a problem. And if you can meet a need or solve a problem, people go, I like that. I want that. Bring that and bring value in. And then this is how economy works. It's based on you solved a problem that I have and you met a need that I have in my life. So let's kind of jump into business and where we're going with this, uh, this series called God in Business. One of the first things that's really important is that you act decisively. Act decisively. We're gonna talk more about this a little bit later, but there is a connection between how quickly you respond to something Versus how long you take to make a decision. Some people spend so much time trying to make a plan that the opportunity passes them by before they ever get a chance to finish it. Or they want the perfect plan, and the perfect plan never happens. So you have to learn how to act decisively in situations. In fact, how many of you would say, and I want you to raise your hands and kind of give me an idea here. You, you know the, the idea of a gut response and you'd say, well, my gut's usually right. How many of you would say 50% of the time, just raise your hand and keep your hands up. 50% of the time, my gut response is correct. Would you just raise your hand? Okay. Okay, keep your hands up. How many of you say 70% of the time my gut response is correct? Okay, just look around. How about 80%? 90? 90, 95? Pretty good, okay, 100%, we had a couple in the last one, 100% they're, the time they're right. Why is that true? You see, why is that true that that happens? By the way, studies show that on an average, about 90% of the time, your gut response is correct. But what do we do? We move out of that, and we go into overthinking a project, and we'll talk about that in a, in a bit. But let's, let's think about acting decisively. I want to I talk to you from the book of Luke and the 16th chapter. And in this chapter, let me set up the story. There's a, there's a steward that is, he's been given care over the property and the business of his master. And his job is to make a profit. His job is to make sure everything is done well, as well as the master would do it. But apparently, he's not good at it. He's he's called the unrighteous steward, so he is cutting corners, he's doing things a different way, and all of a sudden, his master discovers that he's not been good at running his business. And now he has to go before the master and give an explanation. So that's where the story picks up. He's trying to figure out, what do I do? Let's look at Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 3. He asks the question, what shall I do? My master is taking the stewardship away from me, and I cannot dig, and I am ashamed to beg. So he looked at his life, and he said, you know, working a shovel is not gonna work for me. We don't know whether he was just too old to do that. We don't know whether he had some physical limitation. We don't know why, but he said, I can't dig ditches at at this point in my life, and I have too much pride to sit on a street corner and beg. So what he's done is he's already kind of positioned himself that what I can't do, now he's asking himself, what can I do? So here's what he says, I have resolved. Now when you resolve something, what you're saying is I've acted decisively. I've made a decision. In life, your ability to make a decision, especially a good one, quickly, is going to be connected to your success down the road if you can't make act decisively and if you wait too long, your success rate will go down every single year of your life. Because people, by the way, will follow behind someone who thinks they know where they're going, whether they're not due or not. Because we're so hungry for leadership in our life. We're so hungry to get somewhere in our life that, that we're going here. Okay, I'm in. And when you do that in your life, it makes a big difference. I mean, think about it in the practical sense. How about marriage? How about this one? We're gonna go out to dinner, where do you wanna go? I don't care, where do you wanna go? Have you had this conversation? This is the worst conversation you can have. Because I'll say, I, for me, I'm just trying to be nice to my wife and say, where would you like to go? I don't care, you decide. And I say, okay, let's go get pizza. She says, no, I don't want pizza. Okay, uh, well, let's, and then we'll suggest a couple other things, and then I'll say, what do you want to do? I don't really care, you decide. <laughs> Can anyone relate to any of this right now? Okay, I got a, got a few brave guys who will raise their hand. Okay, but really, ultimately, what does she want? She wants me to make a decision. I said, we're going to Ruth Chris. okay. No, I don't know why that's more appealing than pizza, but it is some for some reason. Okay, so um, when you think about it, it says that, that I may re- be resolved that when I am put out of the stewardship. Now, watch what he's doing here. He's thinking, I'm going to make a decision that whatever my next steps are, when I get fired, I'm going to position myself for my future. Practical terms, don't quit your job till you get another one. So I'm just going to quit, there's plenty of jobs out there, and then you go hungry. No. How about develop another skill that you can do on the side that might give you opportunity in the future? That's positioning yourself for the future. So he says here that when I am put out of stewardship, they re- may receive me into their houses. So guess who his target audience is? It's the people that were doing business with his master. So here's some, some truths you can pull out of that. Know your strength and your weakness. A lot of people say, well, this is my strength. And I say, no, that's not really your strength. It's what you want to do. But that's not what you're best gifted to do. Know your weakness. What is it you fall flat on in your life and you just don't show any aptitude for? Even though you love it, don't do it. For um, for years, starting back in about 06, Tammy and I have been working with Young Hollywood um, and basically it's everyone 18 to 30, and they were in all different phases of their, the, of their learning, their development, their skill, their talent, and everything else. And some people, quite honestly, just had no talent for what they were looking for. But what they did was they stayed in that forever, thinking that because they were based on hope. How many of you agree hope's a good thing? Raise your hand if you think hope's a good thing. How many of you think hopelessness is a good thing? Let me tell you, hopelessness is as valuable as hope. Let me show you why. Because as long as you hope in the wrong direction, it's going to be to your detriment. The minute you come to the place to go, wait a minute, this is not working. This is never going to work. Now you can change and go on an opportunity of your strength. So they can both be helpful in your life. So you have to know the difference, know when you're hitting that level of hopelessness. Next thing is Take responsibility. You can never succeed in business if you don't take responsibility for what you've done wrong. Hello? All right, talk to me now. You have to take responsibility. We're living in a day where no one is to blame for anything. It's somebody else's fault. I'm entitled. I've got this. I've got that. No, you need to say, wait a minute. The reason this didn't work was because I blew it. I made a mistake, I didn't get it right, but you know what, I'm gonna learn from my mistake and I'm gonna move in the right direction. So take responsibility. Another one is consider your options. Some people get so locked into one thing they can't see anything else. What are options out there? You say, well I could do this and this and Wait a minute, have you tried that? Do you have skill for that? Is there opportunity for that? But you have to have options on the table and that's what he did, he said, wait a minute, I know what my weakness is. My weakness is begging and digging holes. My strength is what? Negotiations. See, he knew what his strength was. I'm good at talking people into stuff. Makes you a good salesman, right? My daughter said when she graduated, I don't even know what she had degrees in, but anyway, whatever it was, she didn't want to do, and she said, Daddy, what do you think I should do? I said, you need a job where you can talk a lot and convince people to do stuff they don't want to do because that's what you did for me. Your whole growing up, I, I don't know why I'm buying that. I don't know why you're doing that. I don't know what's going on here. And then she said, what kind of job is that? I said, sales. And that's what she did, sales. And was very good at it. You see, you have to go like, what is, what's really working in my favor? And what are the options I have? Next thing is implement a plan. Implement a plan. You have to know where you're going. Imagine this vacation. Hey, I'm going on vacation. Where are you going? I don't know. When are you leaving? Not sure. What's your mode of transportation? Haven't figured it out. There's a really good chance you're going to have a bad vacation, right? Because you don't have any kind of a plan. How are you going to know when you get to that destination spot? You won't know. You're just going to take off driving, and I don't Where's the vacation? I don't know. We're just going to keep driving until we have one. Well, it may not be your best plan. So let's go to the, back to the Scripture, Luke chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him. You see a strategy? Everybody that owes the master money is now under an obligation to pay it back. And he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Now, if this guy's working for you, he doesn't seem like a good employee, right? How many of you would agree, this is not the best guy I've got on the team? But what he does, he's decisive, he's decisive, right? He's proactive. He's looking at his options. He's looking for favors down the road. He said, okay, you owe 100. I'm going to give you a 50% discount if you can pay today. The guy quickly writes out 50. So he said to the next guy, uh, he said to another, he said, how much do you owe? And he said 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So this guy was thrilled to get a 20% discount, even though the other guy got 50%. Because now he's got a discount on top of this. And you, you look at this and go, what is this guy up to? This is not, no wonder he's called the unrighteous steward in the story. But you see what he did was he envisioned an outcome. And if you don't envision your outcome, where you're going to go, you're not going to get there. He looked at it and said, you know what I think I can do? I think if I look at this correctly, I can see a future in me that nobody else saw. Undoubtedly, this guy was a great negotiator. We're going to see that as we build into this. The next thing that's really important is get started. You have to start on something. I read Bezo with Amazon, and I read about what he was doing with how he started. And he said, I remember the day we were wrapping boxes on the floor of the factory. And one of my associates said, you know, if we got tables, I think we could package up these these items and get them out quicker. And here's this guy who's now the richest man in the world sitting down going, wow, that's a great idea. We could stand up and do this together. But he got started. He didn't wait for tables. He didn't wait for the best idea. He got started on something. When you get started, you start momentum. When you don't start, you have inertia. Inertia never stays where it is. It always moves backwards. Momentum, even if it's slow, it's moving forward in what you're doing. Next thing is, uh, getting started, then be creative. Do you know studies have shown that the more money you have, the less creative you are? And yet everybody says, if I just had some money and get this project off the ground, no, if you had money, you'd probably never get it off the ground. What do you have in your hand that you could work with? What do you see that's in front of you and begin to be creative? Because God made you creative. And he made you creative so that you could create. Create. So you say, okay, well, I don't have money. What do I have? I have this. I'm gonna start with what I have, and I'm gonna go down this road and see where this thing turns up. Some of the great companies of the world started that way. They didn't start out with a great plan, a great business plan. They didn't start out with a lot of money. They started somewhere. Another thing that's really important, big idea is your mind and your spirit have to work together if you're a believer. You have to think not only here, but you have to think here. You take that gut feeling and you also press in with the Spirit of God into that same thing. You say, okay, God will you speak to me out of this? Will you show me something in this? I have this gut feeling, would you open doors for me and and let me make sure that, because there's probably gonna be a lot of open doors in my life, make sure I go through the right one. Because opportunities are, are everywhere for everybody, but they're not for everybody. You gotta know which door to go through. Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman, uh, and and this is really some of the best thinking now on this subject, he came up with system one, system two thinking. Let me show you a chart here that illustrates this. And I'm gonna take you back to your gut feeling. Remember the gut feeling? You said how how many of you are right 60 or 70% of the time and most of you who had your hands up raised your hand. Some of you went on from 80 to 90 and 95%. Well, what he's found out, what we find out is your best thinking And your best decisions don't take a long time. They actually take less time. So let me show you this. So system one is uh, intuitive and instinctive, and 95% of every decision you make in your life falls into system one thinking. 95%. think You get up in the morning, you pull out your toothbrush, you don't go, what do I put on that toothbrush? I'm not sure today. Is it going to be toothpaste? Is it going to be hair cream? What's it going to be? No, you you don't even have to think about it. It never even crosses your mind. You just go into just automatic pilot right there. And 95% of every decision that you make is going to be unconscious, it's going to be fast, it's going to be associative, and it's going to be a part of automatic pilot. So if you think about that, why is that true? Because people that are intuitive, more intuitive than others, sometimes they have kind of a, a special knack for that. But in most cases, according to studies, it's based on how genetically, you, where you came from, and the experiences of life you've had, and how well you've been able to trust your intuition, so, that everything you've ever done, good or bad, it prepares you for that, mo- that next moment in your life when you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to size up a situation and go, does this work or does this not work? One of the studies, we're going to reveal it a little bit later, but one of the studies was done on how fast can you decide if a couple are going to get a divorce or marriage fascinating study. So uh, the psychiatrist began to do some work on it, and he found out that in an hour with a series of questions, he could hit about a 95% accuracy whether that couple in one hour were going to get a divorce or stay married. Now, that's pretty interesting. So then he he challenged himself, and he said, I wonder if I reduced it from an hour to 30 minutes, what that number would look like, and that number stayed at about 95%. So then he got it down to three minutes. With the right questions, what would be the accuracy? And it only dropped to 90%. I know some of you are going, I need that study. Well, this is why we, we tell you about it to get you to come back, right? Because we're going to reveal that later. But if you think about it, when you, when you meet somebody, you probably know pretty quick, do I want to be friends with them? And then you put them in a category. Good friends, associates, say hi to church run don't we do that i mean we all do that we go like yeah i think i could kind of get along with this person and then, and then maybe you go out and you you know like like you couple date like my wife and i said let's just go with this couple and see if we like them and we went out with them and i'm telling you it was not even 2 minutes i'm going there's no way i'm ever going out with these people ever again and they're not in this church so don't don't think it's you and we got up, and it was like miserable. Have you ever had like it's? I'm pulling teeth. I can't. Nobody's talking. It's like, oh. And then the first thing they say when they get up from the table, "This was fun. When do we want to do it again?" I don't know. I had to change. I had to move. I changed my phone. I mean, you know, you just what do you do in a situation like this, right? But you know some things that you know. And if you start learning how to trust those and test those both. You don't just trust them, you also test them, but you don't over test them or overstate the situation. So 95%. Then over here in system two is what's called rational thinking. And this is where a person, uh, sometimes it's necessary to do this. You've got to solve a complex problem. You've got to slow down. It takes effort. It is slow. It is logical, but it can make lazy and indecisive decisions. So that it's rare when those things are going to happen, unless your job demands that you do this. You know, like if you're an aeronautical engineer, you probably don't want to trust your gut. I think this rocket will fly. Yeah, that's not a good thing. We, we, we want you over here on the rational side. But remember, it's a small part of your life. I think the reason that we get messed up is we flip these numbers. We only trust a little bit of our instincts and our intuition but we we force ourselves into rational thinking. We say, "Well, I can't be right about that." How could that be right? Do you know that when God made you, He made you this way for a reason. He didn't want you to have to go home and spend two weeks trying to figure everything out. He wants you to be able to respond, look, think. You know, there's some things you don't even have to pray about. Have you ever noticed that? You just get this instant thing in your heart and you go, "Like that's good." Spiritist says, yes, that's right, that's good, move in that direction. Other things you do have to pray about and you have to think about, right? Spend a little bit more time. But remember, don't get these two mixed up. System one, remember, is automatic, instinctive, and emotional. Emotions are not bad. See, we, we kind of get a little bit, can I say this, too white when it comes to emotions, and what I mean by that is there's a reason why a lot of white people can't dance. They just got no rhythm, they got nothing, and some who can't are really good at it. Okay, but there's just a reason there. And so what happens in the emotional world, you're sitting in church and you're white. When we started this church, we were all white. Thank God for ethnics. amen. Amen. You got rhythm, share it, sister. I mean, we got it, we need it, right? Okay, so remember, you're sitting there in church and you're really white in your thinking when it comes to emotions. And somebody in front of you raises their hand, you go, look at him. Why is he raising his hand? You don't need to raise your hand. God hears you, God knows. Why is, there, why is that hand going up? Then you see him move, look, oh, I can't believe they're moving in church, look at that. Then they're singing loud, singing loud, just... Why did God give you emotions? To use them. Do you know that when you're, you know why, why when truth comes in faster when you're laughing, did you know this? Another study. When you're laughing, your guard is down. The emotions allow things to move in your mind and your heart and your spirit quicker. People that can't laugh or won't laugh, they're not exactly the life of the party. Would you all agree? Like, you want to invite that guy? Hey, we've got 20 people coming. None of them laugh. It's going to be great. <laughs> Start a new link group. It's a no-laugh group. I mean, everybody's stoic and stuck up. It's going to be wonderful. You just, If you know anybody, please tell them. But if they ever laugh, laugh, don't invite them, right? So emotions are good. System two is slow, logical, and deliberate. There are times you need to be slow, logical, and deliberate. Let's go on with the story. Luke chapter 16, verse 8. So the master, now look. This has all happened. One guy got a 50% discount. One guy got a 20% discount. Now he's brought the steward in, and he says to him this. He says, I want to commend you, unjust steward. This seems like, what? Why? Because he had dealt shrewdly. He'd looked at a situation, and he said, I got to make a win out of this one i got to figure out how to turn this around for my own good. And then he says this, for the sons of the world, this would be non-Christians, are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. He said, as Christians, sometimes we lack the ability to move in the direction of options And what we do is we miss out on what God is wanting to do in that situation. What he's not saying is be unrighteous. Some parables are going to tell you what exactly to do. Some are going to tell you what not to do. And some are going to tell you both. That's just how they fit into. This one says, don't be unrighteous, but be shrewd. That's the message. Let me give you another scripture. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus said, be as wise as serpents but innocent as innocent a, as a dove. So you think about it like, I want to be faultless in this situation, but I don't want to get sucked into something that's not going to benefit me. So I have to be shrewd. I have to be wise as a serpent. So why did he commend him? Three reasons. He saw options and not problems. He saw options and not problems. Are you seeing options in your life or all you've seen is problems? If you look and move in the area of options, you don't have to deal with the problems anymore, because your options are answering the question of the problem. The next one, he did not blame someone else for where, where he was in life. If you've got it, if you've got it in your mind to say, well, you know, um, if I would be where I would be further down the road if it wasn't for so and so, you're never going to get ahead. If you look at life and say, you know what? If I'd have had that opportunity, I could have done the same thing. You'll never get ahead. You have to ask yourself some real hard questions. And then I think the third thing was he moved quickly toward a solution. He said, i got to solve this problem today. I can't solve this problem in six months. I have to solve this problem today. What am I going to do today to solve my problem?